Um, let me, I forgot to do this at the last service, so let me go ahead and put a disclaimer out. If, if this is your first time at Second Chance, today's message is a little heavy, but it's appropriate heavy. I think um, my hope and prayer today is that when you leave, you'll leave encouraged and with, with some hope in your heart. Just know that before I get started. So let's, let me start the message now. How many of you have ever lost your phone? You just lost your phone. Okay, isn't that a helpless feeling just to lose your phone? Because I don't know anybody's number. I don't know, I don't know anybody's number. It's just all on my phone. Now, here's what's cool, though. Here's what's cool. Like, for me, I, I know I'm going to lose my phone, so I got Apple Watch. And with an Apple Watch, you can find your phone. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can just swipe up on this little thing right here. Hold on, y'all listen. Y'all listen for it. Y'all listen. And if I can't find my phone, it's like this. See, some of y'all are going to get an Apple Watch after this. Siri, I didn't talk to you. Shut up. Um, but it... <laughs> That's how I find my phone. And I've, I do that like two or three times a week. And at least once or twice a month, I'll hear that and it's in my back pocket. Not making that up. It's really, it's really funny. It's so so I'll, I'll lose my phone. How about you lose your keys? Anybody lose your keys all the time? You lose your keys, you lose your keys. Now, I don't lose my keys all the time. But hypothetically, I might be married to somebody who always asks, where are my keys? And this is, I never know. But I've discovered something. If you just start looking, that's all she wants. You don't, you don't actually have to find them. You just have to pretend to look. Like, I don't know. Pick up the dog, look under it. Like, you don't know. So um, I lost my car once. I don't know if you, like, I, I excel in everything. So I, I was at an airport, and I thought I parked in this lot, but I actually parked in this lot, and I couldn't find my car. So I did what many of us have done. I set my car alarm off. And then I was like, oh, that's it over there. So we've all lost things, and... And, 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 we, and they're easier to find. Sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to find. But this is what absolutely stinks. There's not a button to bring back a person. It just, it just sucks. Now, j- just so you know, that's, that's what I always say when I show up and somebody's passed away. When I, if I show up on the scene or I'm involved in it, the first thing I always tell the family is, I am so sorry, this absolutely sucks. I don't know if that's the right thing for a pastor to say or whatever, but you know what? Everybody's feeling it. So I'm gonna go ahead and acknowledge it. There, there's people in this room that, that you have lost someone close to you. Uh, a mother, a father, a spouse, a child, a friend. And there's, there's no way in the moment or even after to make that feel good. I grew up in a in church. My mom always had me in church and I can remember when my mom passed away. Just being told some things and listen, I think these people really meant well. I'm not mad, but they told me some things that weren't true. Like um you shouldn't be sad. Well, okay. But I am. Well, you shouldn't be. Oh, thank you very much. Fixed it right there. Like, like that, how does that work? Um, Christians shouldn't cry. What do you do when Jesus wept? I'm just saying, it's the shortest verse in the Bible and it's there. So we're going to take that one out. Like, what, you should be happy. Okay, I'm not happy my mother's dead. I can remember standing beside my mother's coffin and people saying the dumbest things. Like I'm standing there and you got to stand there and shake everybody's hand. How you doing? And people are like, oh my God, she looks so natural. (laughs) No, she doesn't. 
She looks dead. That's how I got in trouble. I literally got in trouble in the funeral home because I said that to somebody. I was like, she, I remember somebody sent a bouquet of like flowers, like when you know those floral arrangements, and I, it was it was like a rectangle. It looked like a cake from Publix. That's how I remember things in food. I mean, it looked like, a, but it had a phone on it. I'm not making this up. It had like a phone, and underneath it said Jesus called. Okay, that first of all, I there are so many. God, that was stupid. I don't know who sent it, but it, some of y'all are like, I sent that. Okay, stop it. You know, because when I saw it, the first thing I thought is, don't answer the phone. Like, don't answer the phone. Like, no, I'm not here. <laughs> I think the thing that confused me the most, well, though, was people telling me, don't be sad. Don't, don't have questions. Don't just, 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 just be happy. Here's the thing. If you've ever lost somebody that you really love and care about, just be happy while it's great in theory doesn't work. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How, how do you deal with grief? How do you deal with mourning? I mean, do, if, you're, if you love Jesus, then can you really be sad when someone dies? Because I was told as a kid, no. If you really, godly people who love Jesus don't grieve and they don't mourn and they're not sad. I remember being told that for years. And some of you, you've been told that too. And so when somebody passes away, you push all those feelings down because you're like, well, I don't want people to think I'm a bad Christian. So let me show you today from scripture that godly people, godly people, some of the godliest people that we know of actually mourned and were sorrowful and then I want to take you through seven steps, seven steps that I went through in my grieving process with my mother and my father. I've seen these in my life. I've seen these in the lives of other people, and I see them in the scriptures as well. So let me set it up this way. The early church was rocking and rolling. I mean, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a message 3,000 people get saved. That's a good day. <laughs> For a lot of churches, that's a good decade, all right? But they just had it in a day. They baptized 3,000 people. In Acts chapter 3, they heal this lame guy, and he starts jumping all around, hooping and hollering, and, and, and everybody, that's the southern version. And everybody comes running, Peter preaches again, and the number grows to about 5,000. Now, little hiccup, and Peter and John get arrested and thrown into jail. But they made bail, and it's okay, because some of y'all, that was your weekend. You got arrested, you were thrown in jail, but praise God, you made bail, and you made church this morning. You weren't here for the last service, but you got your court. So anyway, you're here. So by the way, by the way, just a side note, a lot of our Bible heroes couldn't serve on stat church staff hardly anywhere, because they got arrested. Samson last week was killing people, catching foxes, tying tails together. I mean, it's just, just, just messed up. So anyway, they got arrested, and then they got arrested again in between Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. But in Acts chapter 5, the church is growing. Acts chapter 6, the church is growing so much that they need to get some help. I mean, so we got to get some more leaders around here. So the apostles got together, and they chose some leaders who were full of the Spirit. And, and the, one of the guys' name was Stephen. I'm going to show you something about Stephen. This is not a trick question. It's not a setup. I want to show you something. I'm going to ask you a question, all right? Here we go. This is what the Bible says about Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So, quick question. I'm not, it's not a setup. It's easy. According to that verse right there, Stephen a good guy, yes or no? Yes. I'm just going to go ahead. I've preached some sermons, but I've never 
perform miracle signs among the people. I mean, <laughs> fancy-like dance didn't inspire anybody except Jesus. It was not a miracle. Well, it's probably a miracle that I learned it. But the, the, the thing is, Stephen's a good guy. And the reason I want to point this out is because there's a belief in the church and among some people. In fact, if we're not careful, we'll catch ourselves believing this, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So if somebody gets cancer or somebody has Alzheimer's or somebody dies in a car wreck, it's, it's probably, they probably deserved it at some point. You've, you've, you've thought that, you've felt that, you've heard that. And it's not true. I, listen, I, I don't know why two cars can crash and, and the mother of three kids under the age of seven is killed and the drunk driver doesn't have a scratch. I have no explanation. And you don't either. Don't ha- Listen, I'm so tired of the Christian catchphrases. It, it's confusing, isn't it? And so Stephen's a good guy. He's a good guy. In fact, the Bible says he's so good, but one day, but one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Serene, Alexandria, Cilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. So you got religious people lying about people. Isn't it funny how in 2,000 years, there's not a lot that has changed in the world, right? And, and watch what happens. What ha- watch what happens. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council, which if you're on the outside looking in and watching this event, you're like, not a problem. John got arrested. He got set free. Peter got arrested. He got set free. Stephen's getting arrested. He going to be all right. When you go, listen, listen, go, to, listen, listen, go, get, go get the bail bondsman guy, bring him down. We're going to get him out. And if that don't work, I know a guy that works inside. We're going to bust him out. He's going to get out of jail. We're not worried about it. Nobody's worried about it because, no, listen, up until this point, nobody, nobody who, who was on fire for, I mean, they, they hadn't lost anybody. Ananias and Sapphira got killed, but that was the whole offering thing. And that's a different story, different time. In other words, anyway. So, So Stephen gives this speech in Acts chapter 7, and the speech is going really good. I mean, he's kind of pulling the people in. He's going, hey, we're on the same team. We all got delivered from Egypt. We went through the Red Sea. We're in the promised land, and we're here. And everything's going good up until we hit this part right here. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if Stephen got triggered. I don't know if he just had a moment or whatever. But Stephen is preaching, and everybody's nodding their heads. And all of a sudden, he says, you stubborn people. Notice the exclamation point. He yelled that at them. Okay. Some of y'all feel like you're back in, back in church as a kid, right? You are heathen. Now I like that word right there. We got to bring that word back. You need to tell somebody today, you need to quit acting like a heathen. You can tell your kids that. You can tell your kids that. You are, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Now, if you're in the audience, are you thinking, this is a great message? No, you're getting a little ticked right now, aren't you? But he doesn't let up. Watch what he does. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones you predicted, who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, who you betrayed and murdered. 
If you're Stephen's friend, are you just, hey, hey man, just, we're just, I mean, I think I would just let off the gas at this point. I mean, they're mad. I I don't think this is going to go good, but no, he keeps going in. You deliberately disobey God's laws, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fist at him in rage. Now, I've preached some bad sermons, but usually people just walk out. Like, I hadn't had anybody shake their fist in rage, maybe on our online family, but, but like nobody in the room has shook their fist at me. I'm, I'm not, that's not an invitation to do that, by the way. Um, but if you're watching this, you're like, oh, it's going to be okay. God, he delivered Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fire. He delivered Gilligan off the island. Like, he's going to be all right. Everything's going to be great. If you know, you know. So, so then, then something happens completely out of left field that you don't see coming. Watch this. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Is, is this a good thing? I'm going to go ahead and say yes. If I walk outside and look at the sky and I see Jesus, that's a good day. That's a great day. Here's, and I don't have time to really go into this. I just want to point it out. The Bible says when Jesus went to heaven after he was crucified and he got to the throne of God, he sat down. He sat down because his work was finished. But Stephen's about to get martyred and Jesus isn't sitting down. He's standing up, honoring the man who honored him. It's so powerful, but I don't have, I just got chill bumps right there, but I don't have time. Okay, so he's, he's looking into heaven and, and this right here, This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's seeing Jesus. He's full of the spirit. He is preaching. This is going to go awesome. And then, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's a bad day. I was talking to somebody in the lobby between first and second service. We were talking about when, when, when you die. And I was like, I look, you know how I want to go? Lightning strike. I, I want to be like walking going, I'm enjoying this thunderstorm. Jesus. Like that's how I wanted it to happen. Like I, I just want it to happen that fast. Getting stoned? Not the kind some of y'all know. This is a different, this is the Old Testament. I mean, this is old new, this is Bible stoning, okay? Some of y'all are like, yeah, this would be a great way. Um, no, this is where they throw rocks at you until you're dead. This is not good. This is not what this is not on anybody's bucket list. And and they 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 stoned him. And watch, it gets even crazier. Watch this. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Isn't it kind of crazy? He said, Lord, basically forgive them for what they're doing. Had he, had he heard that before maybe? Like was he there when Jesus was crucified? I think so. But he died. A good man, a godly man, a man full of the spirit who was doing nothing wrong died. How did, how did the church handle this? How, 
Like, what do, you, what do you do when somebody that you love steps into eternity? Well, let's see, because the Bible's very clear. Acts chapter 8, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. So I'm going to ask a couple questions. It's a, they're not setups. They're super, super easy. So after the great wave of persecution began, how many of the people, how many of the church people left Jerusalem? We're going to say this on three. One, two, three, all. Like all. In the Greek, all means all. All of the believers, except for who, who stuck around Jerusalem on three? One, two, three, the? Now, were the apostles close to Jesus? Yes or no? Yeah. These men were closer to Jesus than, than any of us have ever been. I mean, they saw and heard things that we read about. So if anybody loved Jesus and knew Jesus and was close to Jesus, it was the apostles. So how did they handle his death? How did they handle Stephen's death? Well, look, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. Hold on. Some devout men. Came. Who were the devout men that came and buried Stephen? Well, if everybody had been scattered but the apostles, then the only people to come and, left and bury Stephen were the apostles, and they were super close to Jesus, and they knew Jesus on a level that, most of us will never know Jesus, yet these godly men that love Jesus buried Stephen with great mourning. They didn't say, oh, guys, we shouldn't be happy. He's in a better place. Take that frown, turn it upside down. Every time somebody says, I wanna, I'm going to take my foot, stick it up. Your, like, that's what goes through my mind. I am still involved in the sanctification process, okay? I've got a long way to go. But I'm, I'm saying this, I'm saying this to give some people permission to actually grieve and mourn something that maybe that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I want to walk you through seven steps. Now, these seven steps, if you Google them, you're not going to find them. These, these, are, these are for me sitting down with a legal pad and a pen and the scriptures and working through what I, how I dealt with the death of my mother when I was 11, and my father who died back in 2011, these are, the, these are the phases that I've gone through and I've seen so many people either go through or you're currently going through these phases. So here we go. These, these are seven steps or the seven phases that we, do, we go through when we're dealing with grief. No, number one, denial. Denial. It's, it's easy to deny certain things if we don't want them to be true. For example, I was backing up in my truck, I remember, and I hit my mailbox. And, uh, and I was going, and I was like, I didn't, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. I didn't get out and check it because in my mind, I was like, that didn't happen. And I drove where I was going. I was like, it didn't happen. And I got out and looked at the side of my truck, and I had a racing stripe down the side. And I was like, crap, it happened. We can deny stuff, but, but, we, some, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it. This is what happened. When, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, I remember hearing it and thinking, nope, not true, too young, too young. <laughs> when my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I was like, nope, nope. But sooner or later, <laughs> I 
Things happen where you can't deny it anymore. Because I remember one time I went to see my dad's apartment. And I got into the bathroom. I had to go to the restroom. And I looked in the bathtub. And the transmission from his car was in the bathtub. Just so y'all know, that's not normal. And I said, Dad, is there a transmission in your bathtub? He's like, yep. Had to give it a bath. It wasn't working right. I was like, okay, this is probably what the doctor said is true. We did, but we, at first, we deny it. I remember in high school, my, going into my senior year, one of my best friends named John was killed in a car wreck before, high, before our senior year. And when I heard about it, like when I heard that John had passed away, I was like, didn't happen. We, we tend to deny, and listen, this doesn't mean that we're ungodly. It's a protection mechanism in our mind. We want want to deny it because as long as we deny it, we don't have to deal with it. And that's anything. And so our, my first reaction, many times our first reaction is to deny that the bad news is actually bad news. And it's, it's when we slow down and we pause and we're willing to accept it that the, the grieving process actually begins to take place. In fact, the next phase that I went through, the next phase that we all go through um, at some point is this thing called guilt. You ever feel guilty or something? I remember, so people used to ask, you meet somebody and you start talking about your parents and people always, you know, so, so where's your mom and dad? And you know, mom and dad, and they'd always ask about my mom and I'd be like, well, my mom passed away when I was 11. They all say the same thing. I'm sorry. So several years ago, I started being like, that's all right. You didn't do it. And, and people didn't know how to deal with that. But it, people always say, I'm sorry. When, when you tell somebody that you lost somebody that was close to you, they always say that. They always say, I'm sorry. And, and there's some people in this room that when it comes to the death of somebody that you knew and you loved, you carry around tremendous amounts of guilt. I know what that's like. My dad passed away on a Friday. The Thursday before he passed away, I was on the phone with some, fam- with some friends and a doctor. I was speaking at an out-of-town engagement. I was trying to figure out if I needed to go speak or if I needed to come home right then. The doctor and my friend said, he's going downhill, but we think he'll make it through the weekend. So I stayed at the event and I spoke, which was, it was an incredible, God moved in an incredible way. I got to the airport the next morning and as I'm getting on the plane, my phone rings and they told me, your dad didn't make it. And in that moment, in that moment, I felt so guilty for not being there. There's people in this room, you feel guilty for not being there, not spending enough time, not doing enough. But here's what I want you to, if you don't hear anything I say today, I want you to hear this. I want everybody to lean in. Listen to this. Guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt doesn't come from God. Conviction comes from God, but not guilt. Guilt always has to do something about the past that we can't do anything about. Conviction has to do with our current situation that we can do something about. So what I want the person who's been dealing with guilt 
for the past six months or maybe even the past six years or past 10 years is that guilt that you feel, that guilt that has you gripped, that's not God. That's the enemy because he knows if he can keep you gripped with guilt, you'll never walk in freedom. I'm just giving somebody here today permission to stop feeling guilty. The third phase, the third phase, and this is the crazy one. This is the one that we don't like to talk about in church, is anger. Now, everybody in the room has been mad before. We've all gotten mad. I try to avoid things that make me mad. I try to avoid people that make me mad. You're the same way, right? I try to avoid situations. That's why I have not been to Walmart in seven years. Because when I go there, I get mad. It's, it's all of us, all of us do it. But, but I grew up in a, in a church that told me, you can't be mad at God. And you can't question God. And this is what they told me. I don't know if you ever heard this. You can't question God because Job questioned God. And look what happened to Job. So for years, I was like, okay, well, I just can't be mad at God. Like, I'm really mad. But I can, like, God doesn't know that, right? Like, God doesn't know you're mad. It's like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. You were so upset. Like, that's not God in heaven. So, so I, can't, I can't be mad. And I can't ask questions. And then I actually read the book of Job. That's not what the book of Job says at all. The reason Job's life fell apart is because God and Satan were having a conversation. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, I can take him out. And then his life fell apart, which for me, I'm always like, I want to be godly, but I never want to be on that level where God says, have you considered my servant Perry? Like, I don't, by, by the way, I'm not even close. In fact, Satan would probably step in and go, have you seen what I've been doing with Perry? But that, that's another message for another time. Job didn't question God until his life had completely fallen apart. And, and, and then he started asking why, but that, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. There are people in this room that you feel legitimate anger. When my mother died, I was angry with God, but I suppressed it. I held it in for years. And you know who it hurt? Me. As my dad was going through the process of passing away, and when he passed away, I was angry with God. And you know what? I told God about it. I told God about it. Oh, I'm, I'm angry right now, God. I'm pissed. I'm mad. I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And you know what happens when you actually feel the freedom to express yourself like that? You experience freedom in your own life. God's not angry that you're angry. The best thing to do when you're angry is just tell God he can take it. It's not like he's going to worry and get freaked out and one of the moons from Jupiter is going to fall on earth and we're all going to die. Like that, that's not going to happen. God's bigger than our anger. Which leads to number four is doubt. Doubt. Like you, you begin to ask the question, God, are you, are you really good? Can you really heal? When my dad first got Alzheimer's, there was some, there was some stuff that was funny. I mean, it really was. If you've ever, 
had a parent or grandparent that had Alzheimer's, you, if, this is my advice. If you don't learn to laugh, you will always cry. I don't know who that was for, but that's, that's what I, because I remember going and talking to my dad one time. I was going through this Ancestry.com thing. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's Ancestry.com. It's back before they did the cheek swab thing. I, I did it on computer. I was working through it, and I was trying to figure out, because my great-great-grandfather came from Ireland, and he died on a ship coming. There's a shipwreck, but my great-grandfather survived, and he was raised in an orphanage in Charleston, moved to the upstate. His name was John Noble. And so I, and I was digging in, and I found two John Nobles. I found a John Noble in Greenville and a John Noble in Pickens. And one was buried in Pickens and one was buried in Greenville. So I go to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, um, do you remember your, your grandfather's name? He's like, yep. His name was John. I was like, okay, whew, good. We're having a good day. Okay, I need to know, like, did your grandfather die in Pickens? Already die in Greenville. He said, died in Pickens. I said, man, this is okay. He's in his right mind. And then, then I asked the question that I kind of wish I wouldn't have asked. Because <laughs> for lots of reasons. But I asked him, because I was just curious. I said, Well, Dad, how did how did your grandfather like my how, how did he die? And my dad looked at me just as serious could be and said, They say a squirrel got him. <laughs> I said, a squirrel? He said, that's what they say. I said, I come from a family of wusses. We get killed by squirrels, a squirrel and pickings. That's why in that scene in Christmas Vacation, when the squirrel's freaking out, I freak out because they killed my family. So, so those days you kind of laugh a little bit, but then there's some days, I remember the day I couldn't laugh anymore. I used to go see him just about every Saturday, at least. I would go by and see my dad, and i go to see my dad one day. And he's always sitting in the same place. I could, I could walk in the room. He's always sitting over here to my left at the table, and he always would wave at me. And I went over, and I sat down with him, and I looked at him in the eye, and I never will forget this day. He looked at me in the eye, and he said, I know who you are, but I don't know your name. I held it together. Until I got in my car. And I put my head on my steering wheel that day. And I wept. About as hard as I've ever wept in my life. This was 2011. I was a seasoned Christian at the time. And I said things like, God, are you really, are you really good? Can you really heal? Because God, if you're good. Either heal him or take him. That I wrestled with doubt. Now, this is what some people, oh, if you doubt, if you doubt, it means you're not close to God. Well, what do you do with Thomas? One of the apostles is nicknamed for his doubt. If you doubt God at some point in the process of grief, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It simply confirms you're moving through the process. God, are you really good? Can you really heal? I've asked those questions. Maybe you have too. Maybe you need to know it's okay to ask those questions. Number five, number five, hope. This is that thing that bothered me until I saw it. 
where people say God can use anything for good. Okay, that's awesome. Doesn't help me in the way I feel right now. I worked at a church in Pickens. It was my first job in ministry as a church in Pickens. There was a guy that, were, that was in the church. He was a deacon. His name was Ben Roy. Now, you've got to understand, if you're from Pickens, you can have two names. It wasn't Ben. It wasn't Roy. It was Ben Roy, just like John David, Bobby Sue. I mean, just two names all the time. And you had to say both names or they would not acknowledge you. So Ben Roy um, was married to Sybil, and, and they, were the, they were a cool couple. They were older couples. Sybil had, like, white hair. Um, and they, I just loved them. They were always so nice. And Ben Roy, <laughs> he would drive up in the church parking lot smoking like a chimney. Um, and he was like burning it down right up until he walked into the church door, you know. And he would he'd say, hello. And like you secondhand smoke, you had cancer like right then. So, but he was a good guy. And he actually lived in Pickens but worked in Anderson. And he would drive on 178 back and forth to work every day. And I was at Anderson College. And I never will forget, I got a phone call. And it was my friend Karen who worked, or who, who served at the church, and she said, Ben Roy got killed in a car wreck today. And I just talked to him like a day or two before. I was like, no, 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 no. So I, I quit what I was doing, and I drove up and, and went to Sybil's house, and I'm, I'm talking to Sybil, and she's obviously distraught. And I remember she looked and she said, maybe God will bring good out of this. And so for me, when I'm in a situation like that, I just typically nod my head and agree. Yes, maybe he will. And she said something about, I can't remember the exact details. She said, maybe Mike will come to church. I was like, yeah, maybe Mike will come to church. And I walked out going, who is Mike? Like, I didn't know who Mike was. But Mike was a guy that Ben Roy had been trying to reach for years and years and years and years and years. And everybody in the church had been praying for him. I just didn't know it. So it's a Baptist church, and so that next Sunday, we're getting ready to do the invitation, and if you've ever been in a Baptist church, everybody stands, and everybody gets out their hymn book, and you sing the first. You sing, usually until some, some, like somebody's got to take one for the team. Somebody's got to go forward, all right? Just please go forward, confess something. Um, and so, so, so we're singing, we're on the, and, and we had barely started singing. And Mike came to church, sat on the back row. But when we started singing, Mike started walking down this aisle right here. Because I was sitting right there. And every aisle he passed, I swear, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Every aisle he passed, stopped singing and stared. When Mike got right there, nobody was singing. He got to the pastor. Pastor cut his mic off, talked to Mike for a few minutes, cut his mic back on, told the whole church that Mike had just accepted Christ. Sybil's on the front row crying. Everybody's crying. Now, let me tell you what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to take that story, put it over your story, and say, get over it. God's going to use it for good. I'm just telling you, I saw it firsthand. God used something like that for good. God will use it for good. You may not see it this side of eternity. We've got to accept as Christians that some of the biggest miracles we will ever, ever celebrate, we won't actually see them until we got to heaven. Like, what did God protect us from? We have no idea. But you would think that an event like this would cause the early church to collapse. But here's, here's how God does things, and it's kind of crazy. This is what um, Luke tells us in the book of Acts. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. And this entire village winds up accepting Christ because Stephen got killed. I'm just saying, whenever you lose somebody 
or if you have somebody in your life that's been diagnosed as terminal and you are trying to figure out how to wrestle with this, I'm telling you, somehow, some way, at some point, God's going to give you this thing called hope and you can hold on to it because it will get you through. Which leads to number six, strength. Have, have you ever heard that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? I think that's true for most people. But if you're honest in this room, you've got to admit that there's been times where you're like, God, I am not strong enough to handle this. Like you, like for me, when, after my mom died and after my dad died, I would just be driving down the road and, and I, I would just start crying and I couldn't stop. I would be in the shower and I would think about my dad and I would start crying and I couldn't stop. And some people in this room, you've, you've done that or you're currently doing that. And you know what? You don't feel strong. This is what I've learned in those seasons. Oftentimes in life, we won't have the strength and during those times is when we need to lean into the strength of others and into the strength of Jesus because he is able. See, one of the problems when we have when we deal with grief, is we think we have to project this image of being strong. But if you feel like breaking down, the best thing you can do is break down and have a good cry. I swear to you, it works. For me, <laughs> when my dad passed away, I felt so weak because I couldn't stop crying. And I, I remember, I remember um, that the, the night that the, after my dad passed away, that night... Somebody said, what can we do for you? I said, just get a bunch of people together and let's eat a bunch of food. Let's order a bunch. Let's just, because I wanted to be around people. You know why? Because even though I was weak, they were not weak and Jesus was not weak. And I needed Jesus and others to strengthen me through that situation. That's why I'm so glad we have church. This is a place where you can show up. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to pretend to be strong because Jesus is strong and other people in here will be strong with you. Last but not least... The last thing is, is, is revelation. God will, I'm not talking about the book in the Bible. I'm talking about God will speak through certain situations. Now, my dad, <laughs> he was a handful. And uh, we didn't have a funeral for, for my dad. And the reason we didn't have a funeral for my dad is because when my dad was still in his right mind, we sat down and had the conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but this is what he told me. I'm going to say this. I'm going to quote him exactly. My dad said to me, quote, I don't, want, I don't want no damn funeral. Did you have to say that? Yes, I did. That was the quote from my father. Yeah, I did. What do you say, darn? To piss off people like you. That's exactly why I did that. <laughs> See, it worked. It worked. That's exactly what he said. I said, well, okay. I mean, can you tell me why? I said, I don't want nobody looking at my dead body. Okay, well, um, would you? Like, what do you want? To, like, where do you want? To, I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated. Okay. By the way, let me pause. People have asked me, how do you feel about being cremated? Listen, people, we're going to get a new body. It don't matter. 
We're getting a brand new body. We are getting a brand new body. We all gonna have abs, all right? We all gonna have abs. Everybody's got them, just somewhere in the cooler, but like, we all gonna have abs. I said, well, you wanna be cremated, that's fine. Like, what, like, what do you want us to do with the ashes? You know, you want us to get a urn? No, 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 no. Take my ashes and scatter them on your mama's grave. Well, Dad, I mean, that's great, but like, when it rains, you're going you gonna to wind up on Highway 8. And I just don't know. He, I don't care. Just, boy, just do what I told you to do. Yes, sir. So when my dad passed away, um, I get back in town and I go. And I'm, the funeral home allowed me to go back and spend some, just a few moments with my dad. I, just, I, I cried over him and just, you know, told him I missed him. And I loved him. And I'd see him again one day. And. I came back out and they said, well, you can come back and pick him up tomorrow. He'll be ready. I had no idea what that meant, but I was like, okay. So the next day I go in the funeral home and walk in and there's a, there's a bag sitting on the desk. And I just thought, okay, there's a bag sitting. And my friend came around the corner. I said, I'm here to, I guess I'm here to get my dad. And he pointed to the bag. And I walked over and looked in the bag and there's a box about this big and like this. I was like, well, <laughs> you always said you wanted to lose a few pounds. I really did this. I'm not making this up to be funny. I said that out loud. So I took him out to the truck and put him in and like put the seatbelt around him because I, he's, I mean, it's my dad. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I'd never done this before. And I'm driving up to, I'm driving up to scatter his ashes on my mom's grave and, and I am laughing and I'm crying. I'm laughing and I'm crying. I'm, I'm, listening, to, I'm listening to two of his favorite songs. Um, Don't worry about me and go rest high on that mountain. I, I, I went before, went, Marty Robbins, and who's, uh, don't go, go, who's that? Vince Gill, yeah, 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 yeah. I was listening to those two songs and just crying the whole time. And I was praying, God, please speak to me. Now my dad, my dad, his hair didn't turn gray, it turned loose. Some of y'all know what that's like as I'm looking around the room. I'm not pointing at anybody, but it, it, it retreated. About right here, but he was always out in the sun, and and people my my dad's age never wore sunscreen, so his head would get like beat red. So the last five ten years of his life, he had y'all. His head was ugly; it looked like Freddy Krueger. It did. It, it, he was always going, to, and he wound up with these huge scars on his head. And he would ask me, "Son, how does my head look?" And I, I'm just gonna be honest; I lied. I'd be like, "It looks great, Dad." And I took cares to see him one time. She said, but I was like, shh, just, it looks great. It's amazing. His head's all scarred up. So I'm driving. I'm driving up to Pickens, and I'm like, God, you need, God, I, I need a word. God, I need a word. I need a word. And as I'm driving to Pickens, one of the things that God just told me is like, scar's gone. Heard it. So clear, scars gone. And that caused my mind to go down this trail. You know what else is gone? Alzheimer's is gone. He's in his right mind. You know what else is gone? It's loneliness because he's with Jesus and he's with my mom and there's a there's a celebration. There's scars gone. If I I, I was reminded not too long ago when I heard a song about scars in heaven, the only scars in heaven are the scars on Jesus. When Jesus rose from the grave, he 
had scars in his hands and scars in his feet. He even told Thomas, come touch my side, which if I'm Thomas, I'm like, no, I'm good. I can see the hands and feet. I don't need to touch the side. But Jesus was like, I've, I've still got the scars, but they're the only scars in heaven. It goes back to what David said in the Psalm, chapter 30, verse 5, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And I want to tell the person today who is going through a season of weeping because you've lost someone or someone who's close to you has been diagnosed with something terminal, it's okay to weep and it's okay to cry and it's okay to mourn and it's okay to question, but I'm also going to promise you that because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does do in our lives, through our lives and for our lives, that even though weeping may last through the night, mourning always comes and with mourning comes joy and one day, one day we will be able to celebrate what Jesus did. Even if we don't understand it, we can still celebrate it. I'm here to tell you today, I'm glad my mom isn't suffering anymore. I'm glad my dad isn't suffering anymore. I'm glad they are with the man who paid for our sins and has brought healing to their bodies in ways we could never imagine. So Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you know what it's like to experience scars. Jesus, I want to thank you for your scars. Scripture says over and over, God, that by your wounds, by your scars, that we are healed. So today, God, I want to pray for the person who is wrestling with grief, with doubt, with anger with frustration, with confusion. God, that over these next few moments, you'll speak so clearly to us and remind us that even in the midst of pain, we can say hallelujah. We can say praise the Lord because God, we know that ultimately you are good, you are in control, and we can trust you. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. You stand for closing prayer. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you, God, that you are the healer. Jesus, whether you choose to heal on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity, that's in your hands. God, help us to trust you with that decision. Fill us with the faith to trust you even when we're finding it so hard with heads bowed and eyes closed right now if you're here and you're just like pastor p i i feel like that message was for me i'm dealing with a i'm dealing with grief right now i'm i'm in the middle of the process in fact i don't even know where i am i'm just somewhere on that scale and i sure could use your prayers would you put your hand up because i want to pray specifically for you right now i want to just hands the right up hands straight up in the air hands Father, I want to thank you for every single hand in this room, every single hand online, for the person that is dealing with grief. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that in some supernatural way right now that you will comfort them. God, you will speak peace. You will remind them that you love them. You will remind them that you really do hold the whole world in your hands. There's no reason to feel guilty. There's no reason to feel like we did something wrong. We were angry, God, that we would know that you still love us even if we wrestled with doubting you. 
for the person here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed that you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you know the thing that's missing in your life is a relationship with Christ. Today, I want to invite you right where you stand right now to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life and to change not only your life, but your eternal destination. If that's what you want, then right where you stand right now, I want you to pray this in your heart with me. I just want you to pray, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you. Take over, Jesus. Take control. In Jesus' name I pray. The head's still bowed, eyes still closed. If you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just said that prayer, would you do me a favor and hold your hand up really high? Hold it up really high because I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you. We want to, we want to, God, thank you so much for hands in the air right now. Thank you so much for every single hand, for every man and woman that has their hand raised, Father. We know, God, that you just changed their life. You literally just brought them from death to life. I pray as they walk out of this place today, they would walk out of this place filled with encouragement, filled with peace, filled with the knowledge, Jesus, that today is the day that changed their eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you that in you there's always hope. Thank you that there's always joy. Thank you that even when we can't feel it, God, we can know that you are good and you have a greater purpose. We love you, Jesus. And everybody that agreed with this prayer said, amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Man, I'm glad that you came. I know today was a heavy day, but next week we're going to have a lot of fun. I can't wait to see you guys back here next Sunday. God bless.